This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Hello, friends. Welcome back once again to my kitchen. The sun is shining. I've scooted my very noisy cats out into the back garden. I am counting down the seconds. Just having a quick tidy up before this week's guest arrives. Time, though, for a little fondant fancy. I can't. Oh, oh. My guest is one of the most interesting comedians Britain has to offer. And she has recently dipped her toe into screenwriting for telly with the brilliant Channel 4 series, The Change. Yes, Bridget Christie is on her way over. Bridget is an award-winning stand-up comedian, actor and writer. After getting into comedy later than most, she won the Edinburgh Comedy Award for Best Show with a big for her in 2013. Bridget's comedy is bold and she is unafraid to tackle some of life's darker corners. But more importantly, she's very, very funny. In The Change, Bridget stars as a woman called Linda, who's told she's going through the menopause and decides to shake things up. A character very close to my heart. I cannot wait to find out the secrets to her talent. Here we go. I'm just going to finish this cake first, though. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. Bridget Christie. Hello. Welcome to Comfort Eating. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so lovely to see you. I have been so moved by the change that you've just written for Channel 4. Oh. And one of the things that's moved me so much is that it pivots around the idea of invisible labour that women do. Could be men, if there are men listening. I'm sure that some men do this invisible labour, but it's mostly women <laughs> who 
are doing all these things that nobody notices. So to start today, I've got a quiz. I've got, you see my things to do list here? Yeah, this is my book of invisible, <gasps> emotional and physical labor that I do. It's my things to do list. Ooh. I'm going to tell you three things from my things to do list. Right. And you've got to guess which is the false one. Okay. Number one, have number 47 got my wheelie bin? Number two, are Newham Council sending me those scratch cards for parking permits? Right. Number three, is there a poo in the cupboard? So I've got to work out which yeah, one, which is one not... isn't which one isn't real. <laughs> I mean, I want to believe there is a poo in the cupboard. There was a poo in the cupboard, yeah. so that's a real one. Yeah, I thought that would be real. It was a cat poo. I think it might be the bin. It was the parking permits, and I'm offended oh. that you thought that I'd have lost my bin because I've got stick-on numbers on my bin because the- I'm that organised because I've got to that point in the change of my life where these things matter. Do you want me to carry on? You, um, I kind of do. <laughs> now it's once again time to find out what my guest likes to eat behind closed doors. What is Bridget Christie, award-winning stand-up, actress and writer, choosing for her snack? Unfail the snack. Oh. <laughs> right. so disappointed. Okay. So, okay, I'm looking at a big wooden chopping board here that has thick slices of sourdough bread, a block of vegan spread that you might put on the bread first, but the main ingredient I'm looking at with its bright yellow lid is a tub of Marmite. Now, famously, Marmite's one of those things you either love or hate. You clearly love it. Tell me, Bridget, what do you love about Marmite? Every single thing about it. I I'm, I, I struggle to have days or periods of time without it. Do you ever just eat it like kind of? I do, do lick it off the do knife. Do you do lick it off the knife? Yeah. Do you think that's Do you think that's the right amount to lick off the knife, or is it, would you go smaller than that? No, that's about the right amount. Uh, I've never used. I've never. Uh. Do you not like Marmite? <laughs> I do like Marmite. But what I think is, you just need a very, very thin scraping. How do you feel about people that have it like too thick? It can't be too thick or too thin. It just has to be completely perfect. Tell me when you eat Marmite on toast like this. Every morning. Every single morning. Or at night and at lunchtime. Or just. Do you eat any other types of food? <laughs> so just, just the Marmite. <laughs> when did you start eating Marmite? My mum came home with a jar. I remember her coming home from town. Me and my siblings sat round in silence. I don't know why we... So I'm the youngest of nine kids. This would have been... I should have looked it up, really, when Marmite came out. I know... Or, or when it became popular. I want to think it's early 80s. We sat around the table <laughs> at <about laughs> half past four. <laughs> and we all tried it. Half of us couldn't believe how disgusting it was. And the other half, that was it for life. And, and I couldn't believe how amazing it was. The only times I wouldn't have it every day was if if I was on holiday. It's not really a French thing, Marmite. You know, when you go through Gatwick Airport and it says um, <laughs> the things that you can take in your handbag and how big they can be, there's a sign by the security. <clears throat> there's a jar of Marmite now to tell people the biggest Marmite you can take through. No! It's because of people like you, Bridget. 
This isn't true. Is this true? This is true. It'll they say, have- here's a lipstick, you can have that, and here's a moisturiser. And for the weirdos, here's <laughs> Marmite. Honestly. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I, if you stay like in a Premier Inn or wherever, you get those tiny little plastic yeah. Yeah. Um, sachets. Yeah. I should probably get loads of those for when I travel. It's the absolute edge, I think, of like ick in what a British person would eat, though. I don't think we go any, uh, you know, that kind of, I don't think we would ever eat anything kind of more intense than that. I think that's the level that we have. Mustard? It's not as bad as Marmite. Am I getting, are you not a fan of Marmite? I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't eat it, I wouldn't eat it obsessively every single day. Why not? You were born in 1971, the youngest of nine children. You were raised in Gloucester, but your parents, Peter and Mary, were both Irish. Logistical question to start us off. Where did you all sit for dinner? Was it one big table? It, well, it wasn't a big table, but it had two leaves. leaves. Yeah. Le- I, was, I was like, not leaves. <laughs> leaves. Leaves. <laughs> leaves. Leaves. Two mas- massive dock leaves that came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it would that would be pulled out. So there would often be like a, like a, an amazing casserole or stew that we could have when we got in. Because then dad would get in from Wall's Ice Cream Factory around six-ish. And he'd have his dinner. So we'd either eat together or separately. Remember, Mike was 13 when I was born. So that's 13 under 13. And yeah, so I don't remember us all being, apart from we kept like Sundays, I don't remember all of us being around the table every night after school. So I'm thinking that maybe the older ones, they were doing homework or something like that. Um, But how do you... Keep... Well, we sat closely together. How do you go? <laughs> so not a lot of elbow room. My sister Anna used to take her chips with her if she had to leave the table. How do you cope with cooking for that many people, though? It must be like mass catering. We ate really well. So my parents, they got really good ingredients. Like they would buy good food, yeah. but they would buy... Like I think it was seventy-two pints of milk a week, maybe f- maybe five boxes of cornflakes, something like that. A lot of bread, a lot of potatoes. You see, I I grew up in a like you know there was me and my little brother and my big brother had already moved out, and just the thought of I can't get my head around a, a big eleven people, fam- yeah, a big family. No, but I I didn't I thought that was normal until I went to other people's houses. I remember going to my friend's house. And there was just her and her older sister, and it was really quiet. The house, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "This house is so quiet. Like, yeah. how can you live in this quietness?" Like, it. I felt like I would kind of go mad in an empty, quiet house. But, but then when I left, I, I craved like quiet. Then when I was older, mm. I always liked, and I don't know if this is because. I grew up in a, a busy house. When I then started working, I would have to come in and just have five minutes to myself or ten yeah. minutes to my to just even just sit in my room. I'm pretty sure that's from not having that space. I used to go in the garden a lot when I was little. So no food fights? 
food. Oh God, we wouldn't waste food. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we that is something we wouldn't do. And we would have treats Friday night and Sunday. Sunday coming back from church, Friday night, dad would come back from work and like throw nuts and crisps and stuff into the telly room and we'd all go ah, like and try, and try and grab them. That was it. Uh, fish and chips on a Friday. Who was the cook? Your mum? Yes, in those early days, yeah. And then dad and then dad did, did a lot as we got older. Your dad was quite like hands-on. He, he Very hands-on. I talked to him about that recently and he was like, well, why would I watch your mother doing everything? It was really like simple and straightforward to him. He would come in from work and so it, this was when you didn't have disposable nappies then you would have a, the towel you know the terries the towels. Yeah. So they would go into a bucket for soaking and then my dad would wash them out and hang them out when he got in. Oh my god. Well cuz mum was doing everything, you know. And she worked as well part time. Being Irish in the 70s, you're parents made sure you and your siblings all went to mass every Sunday was it a very religious upbringing yeah I'd say so mm. yeah yeah but it was very important their faith was very important to them there was lots of pictures of popes my uncle was a priest my mum was very but I think she said once if she was not married by a certain age she would have gone into a convent probably pictures of popes where, yeah. was the, where was the picture of the Pope? In the front room, and there was, you know, Last Supper tableaus, things like that. That celebration, like Easter, that encapsulates so many things like rebirth and, you know, all yeah. things like that. No, I, I went to the Sunday school and was confirmed Church of England when I was about 12. And even though I don't really go to church yet, yeah. I think that's type of stuff is still stories it's great. still in you yeah you know? oh yeah it doesn't i think my upbringing with these celebrations and with the these religious events that may be why i love ritual and celebration and costumes and incense and that kind of other world bells and smells bells and smells <laughs> i love a bell and a smell yeah me. I'm going to go back to you as a child at home. So you're the youngest. Yeah. So were you always the entertainer in the family? Were you the little, what were you I'm, standing on a raised plinth, I'm tap dancing? I'm to say it's such a cliche, but I just could not show off enough. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an example. This is a story that my dad likes which is that I think him and his fr his some of his friends were around and I had gone in and said something and no one responded and so I stormed out and came back in and said <laughs> if there's one thing I hate and I would have been about four I think it's being ignored and then stormed out again <laughs> but I, I like the idea that I'd come in <laughs> so I've not yeah so I've come back in oh listen guys <laughs> Very lies of an early quality. <laughs> yeah, always, you know, doing accents, messing about, you know, dancing, trying to be funny. Yeah, but oh. did they laugh at you? I think, well, did they laugh? I do remember making them laugh. Yeah. We used to do plays because there wasn't a lot of money getting around, so we did make a lot of our own fun. So we would build, build things in the garden and have lots of games, but we would also put on plays 
And I remember that I wasn't I wasn't given speaking parts, especially when I was very little. So I would be a tree or a box. That must um, have been that, hell. That cut, I mean, I can see that that upsets you. But I'll tell you what I did do. Go on. My God, was I a good tree? <laughs> and that was the best box you'll ever sit on. And you go to St. Peter's Roman Catholic High School in Gloucester, mm-hmm. and you're this natural performer. Do the nuns appreciate that? I, my drama teacher always said to me, imagine what you could do if you put your mind to it or something. That was also said to me, at, what did they say at drama? No, but I do work really hard. I, like, I really resent like people thinking that I don't work hard. Like, I work really hard, like... This idea that I've just come up with it, you know. I, I, I love the fact that you are actually in a, in a one woman argument with yourself. Now, I didn't actually say that. I know you work hard. No, but, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll, I think I'll, I'll have you know, Grace. <laughs> so you leave school at 15, which, you know, lots of people have done, but not many 15 year olds are members of a biker gang. Tell, tell me about this time in your life. I was in a, a group like from before I left school of like bikers and stuff. I left school and I I just lied about my age and got a job. Actually, I was working before I left school. Okay. In a, I see. This is so much to unpick here. The two, you, think you've of, just made more questions for think, me. To be think honest, think of the biker gang. Okay. As my social life. Yes, but a, like and we're not talking about BMXs. We're talking about motorbikes. Motorbikes. <laughs> right. Why motorbikes? I just, I like bikes and I met some bikers in the pub. (laughs) This is as as simple as that. And I got a 125 so you can get, you can ride a bike when you're, how old was I, 16 or 17? Anyway. Where did you go on the bike? Let's give me an example of somewhere that you and your biker gun. (laughs) Mine, yeah, I was the head, head head of it. The TT races, Wales, the Brecon Beacons, France. Did you have a leather jacket? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about going to France on your bike. What did you eat? Um, baguettes and um, laughing cow cheese. What a duo. Like, I mean, and yeah, I think yeah. that's about it. <laughs> I don't think I went to the toilet for two weeks. <laughs> you just get in the baguette and then you get in the laughing cow, la vache qui rit. It's called oh, in France. You are clever. La vache qui rit. La vache qui rit. Uh, and what, do you have a knife to spread the cheese or are you just... I have a feeling that I would put the triangle in the baguette and squash it down and then eat that. How much bread and lavashki reed do you think you have to eat before you get constipated? I, I just remember being constipated for the whole two weeks, so pro- probably much on the first day, pretty much. Is that, is that why you carry a large <laughs> water bottle with you I all don't, times I'm, constip- I'm sorry, I don't want to put you off your marmite. I do, I do, I, <laughs> Well, I got really ill a couple of weeks ago and I had to be on antibiotics. And someone said to me, you should take probiotics, which I did. Mm. And honestly, I was actually thinking that it would be difficult for me to spend a lot of time with someone recently because my guts have been so bad, yeah. <laughs> like noisy and like gurgling and gurgling and yeah. everything. Taking these probiotics. Have you heard anything from me? Not, not. I mean, for the record, you haven't gurgled or farted once. No, like, and, in the, and it's been twenty minutes. That is not like me. <laughs> if my kids were here, they would be like, "Why are you so quiet? Are you okay?" Yeah. So you leave school. Yes. You're into bikes. What other things are you doing when you first leave school? I worked in the local newspaper, the Gloucester Citizen. 
as an editorial assistant. I lied about my age. I said I was 16, but I wasn't. And then I actually left there because the editor was rude. And I remember one day he threw a £10 note on my desk and said, get me a McDonald's. And I didn't want to, well, I didn't want to go to McDonald's. Even then I, I wasn't a fan. And I said, if you want me to get your lunch, you can ask me nicely. And he said, get my McDonald's now or you're sacked. And I said, well, too late because I resigned. And then I ran out. And like it was in the newsroom and you don't do that to an editor. No. And then I answered an advert in the, in the Gloucester Citizen for a farm hand. <laughs> and it was the worst three, three days of my life. So I rode my motorbike, my RS250 Honda, out to a farm in the middle of, I think it was in Frampton on Severn, out that way, to a dairy farm. Why on, in my overalls. Oh my God. And everything that I had to do was my worst fear. It was like your idea of a dairy farm, like from the 50s. It was a bit more like that, you know, where there's cows that are grazing. Yeah. This is partly why I'm a vegan now. I had to be there six o'clock to either get the cows in or take the cows out and then come back at 12, milk them and then walk them back. Oh, my God. Even standing next to a cow is, is a, a little bit stressful. They're enormous. They're enormous. Let alone getting them like a shepherd. What's a cow shepherd called? A dairy Cow. Farmer. A coward? They're not. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Grace Dent here. One more thing. If you love comfort eating, then you love my new book, Comfort Eating, what we eat when no one's looking. It's available order now. There's an ebook and an audiobook if you want me to read it to you. With chapter headings like Why Butter Makes Everything Better and Why Potatoes Are Proof of a Higher Power, How Can You Resist? Comfort Eating is packed with funny, moving stories about my family and my childhood, as well as recipes and stories about recording the show. While you weren't having the best time on the dairy farm, you were also part of the Gloucester Operatic and Dramatic Society. So you wanted to be an actress quite young. Love, love, loved it. I want to be an actress. Love Gloucester, Gloucester Opera. Yeah, always. Love learning lines. Loved. Always wanted to do that. So then you get a scholarship. 
When I was 23, yeah, to go to drama school. So I started auditioning when I was about 21. Got a place. I remember getting the letter. I was working at Royal Mail on the on, on Walls Roundabout, which was the headquarters. And I remember looking out and thinking, this letter might change my life. Did it change your life? Oh, well, in the sense that I went to drama school for three years, but when I graduated, I didn't get a single... Linda is the first proper role I've had in my whole life. And I was 50 and I had to write that and create that show and cast myself in it. So tell me a bit about that time. You've graduated from the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts and you're trying to make it as an actress. Were you doing lots of auditions? Constantly. Either doing really well, it's in the bag. Casting director said, I'd be amazed if you didn't get that. Terrible ones as well, like terrible, terrible that is the most humiliating experience. Is this for TV life. shows, everything, adverts, films, everything? And every time it's a no or just a silent no. It's I'm down to the last two, I'm down to the last three, or it's a no. The whole gamut of outcomes, which I'm sure most actors. And get. what? How do you react to that? Do you think, oh, I just need to be better? I just need to be. No, I didn't think that because there were times where I thought that, and this is not being arrogant. You you know instinctively when you've done something well or something badly. It's a terrible, terrible feeling. Or it's a great feeling. But I mean, acting is so much about how you look and the pressure to look perfect. I mean, does that not drive you a bit mad? I never got to that point. But because I'm a stand-up, it's totally irrelevant. So that's something that once I started having more control and destiny over my career and what I was doing, which was when I realised I cannot live like this. I cannot live, I cannot have so little control over my life and what I'm doing because it's literally waiting at that time for a man to pick me. Yes. And the reasons yes. can be so random and mm. so superficial and such bullshit like the producers want this person or we're just seeing a load of you and we've already cast it. That happens. You're feeling pretty demoralised. Yeah. And about then, acting. About acting. Yeah. Why do you go into comedy? Genuinely, to me, comedy is my whole life. I could not live a day without it. Had you ever stood up at any point and you know done a done a, done a set or? Um, I had stood up in front of people in social situations, weddings, stuff like that. But stand up is very different. It's a very different beast, and I'm so glad I went into it because. You learn so much about yourself. It's just so totally addictive. Yeah. And it's so good for you as a person to have that in your life. I'll never not do it. It's the most effective equaliser that you could possibly do. If you ever think that... So, for example, the change, it was a tsunami of love after that came out, really, and it was overwhelming. Mm. And I did a gig and it was absolutely awful. Yeah, and I was like, brilliant. No, but I got in the car after and I was like, yes. <laughs> well, it's but, evened but it out. Do not for a moment... Believe your own hype. ...think that... Well, I didn't anyway. Yeah. I mean, the show was its own, had its own thing, so I was able to kind of step away from it. For about a decade of your career, you're performing to small crowds and then in 2013, you win... Foster's Prize, basically, the Edinburgh Comedy Oscar. You win it for a bit for her. I did. 
which was all about modern day sexism and misogyny. Like I remember seeing it. Did you? Yes. Oh my God, thank you for coming. I came along to that and I was almost at the front and I was embarrassed because I didn't want to make eye contact with you and kind of feel as if like I was stalking you when it is actually just literally your comedy gig and anybody <laughs> could <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's always think, people that, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. This seems like a bit of a turning point because you suddenly become a household name, new level of recognition. Can you remember the exact moment that things changed and you realised you'd become famous? I don't recognise any part of that fame household name thing for me it was that I think that was my 10th show possibly and I was 42 so I did that show and I remember being in Edinburgh and I remember thinking oh the show sold out and I'd done loads of shows where nobody was coming like you say so that was how I judged it on having full rooms and good good reviews and then the nominations came out and that was really exciting and then winning was really exciting but there was no there was no moment. There was no you... I'm famous now or I'm really well known. What was good to me was the the business side of it. Oh, well, right. Well, this means that I might be able to tour now. Yeah. That was the thing that I felt really excited by was the fact that I might now be able to go to London. And I did a really long London run off the back of it. So that was the amazing thing for me. <laughs> You've spoken in the past that, you know, you were out in the park and you were running and that you were flashed at by a man. And you've said that, you know, this is an image that comes to your mind often. Yeah. And you you weren't sure at all. Do you use this as something that you can use on stage, you know, on a comedy stage? Because it is very dark. But in the end, you do. In other areas of your life, you are very private. You don't reveal yourself. How do you work out what's too dark? There's, there's no. It's very instinctive. There's no, there's, there isn't a subject that is too dark ever. I strongly believe that there is no subject that can't be talked about. It's intent and it's context, and it's who's saying it and why. And I've got a thing which I do to myself, and it's this: if I am called to a court of law and I have to stand up in front of people and they're listening, can I justify it to those people? And if I can, it's in. And if I can't, it isn't. And if I can't make it funny, it also isn't in. I expose myself fully 100% in my feelings and emotions and passions and the things that I believe in. Mm. But with private things, it's not just you. Mm. I like to use the world as my inspiration and then me sort of moving through that that world. That's sort of my comfort zone. I think then there's all sorts of permissions that have to be asked and, you know, like with my childhood and things like that, I'd be like, oh, do you, you know, ask sisters permission? and brothers. Do you ask permission? I don't ask permission from my family for anything I say about them because I think that, if you don't want me to write about you, you should stop being so interested. Yeah, yeah, they should be flooded. Your Channel 4 show, The Change, is about a woman going through the menopause. And you've talked about going through your own menopause. Have you found that your appetite has changed during this time? I feel like it has with me. 
I've had to really get on top of my symptoms. Yeah. And something that things that give me hot flushes and make me feel bad is alcohol. Um, yeah. Too much coffee, like dark chocolate, like things. My, I get heart, like my heart palpitates as well if I slightly overeat or eat things that are really like dark chocolate, anything like that with caffeine or yeah. um, spices. No, just yeah. not good for me at all. Like I've had to really think about what I'm eating because I will get, I will feel the. I just, I, I think that I just have to eat much less. I feel like much less. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just feel like I'm plainer. Yeah, I yeah. just feel like everything I eat now, I just can't go away with with anything at all. I used to be Same. able to, and yeah. I don't, I don't drink alcohol at all now. No, I cut it out for about nine, ten months. Did you feel better? Slipped back in, yeah. But it, it's massively reduced, massively. I would yeah. say that I drink rarely now, like I don't cane it at all. Lots of women say that they find that their menopause symptoms they get so gritty that they consider giving up work altogether. No, I know. I, I, I mean, I think at one point that did cross my mind that I couldn't really be bothered to carry on the way that I was going. But not you, not me either. Where do you think this confidence is now coming from? Lack of estrogen. Yeah. I honestly, I know that kind of, but it's not that we've got more testosterone. It's that the mix of it becomes more equalised. That's right, isn't it? So Mm -hmm. we don't get more. It's just that because our estrogen is depleting, it's kind of balancing out a bit more. You know, you just, you said before, it took you until you were 50 to actually go and write your own thing to get onto television and to to no longer sit waiting for a man to decide whether you were beautiful or funny enough to give you something. Do you think it's, it's the estrogen going? It's this fuck itness that comes in, really. No, so those things aren't connected, right? So this show is about five to seven years in development. Yeah. And I'm glad, actually, that it's taken this long because I think the menopause element of this show is one of the things that has meant that it was commissioned. Mm. And also there being more conversations about women over 50 in in our stories. There just aren't enough of them at all. Do you know, I'm really fascinated by that you've turned 50 and you've bought yourself a motorbike. I did. I bought a massive Triumph motorbike. (sighs) Really big, heavy bike. I was really scared picking it up. When was the last time you were on a bike before? 32 years ago. And I just got, I got, I thought. That is so like, not brave. I don't like that. It's so forceful to go out and just go and buy the bike. It was. And I remember going down to pick it up and I hadn't been that nervous for a long, I I just thought I was going to drop it immediately. And I was so nervous and I had a word with myself. I remember being in my garden and saying, you're going to pick that bike up and you're going to ride it and you are going to stop letting fear dominate your life like things that you're scared of or or thinking overthinking outcomes so I won't do that because I might do it badly and then that will affect work I won't do that because I might say the wrong thing Mm. a brilliant thing that has happened to me and this is very recent and I think it's the menopause and age which is that I have finally accepted that I am majorly flawed and there are lots of things that I can't do but I still love myself like if I've done something badly, I've done them badly and I'll own them and I'll, I might agree with you. feels like you've just turned a corner though. I have. I feel like I have. Yeah. 
what is on Bridget Christie's to-do list now in terms of life adventure? What do you have planned? Being alive is a pretty good start. Yeah. I've just had a smear that came back clear and I had a mammogram that came back clear and I've stuck them up on my kitchen cupboards <laughs> and I look at them every morning and I think, you've got another day. You've, you've got another day, right? You got here. Isn't that amazing? I've never heard anyone say that before, though. When that smear comes back and you're like, yes. <laughs> but we never talk about it. Because, well, how long have we got? You know, it's, I think yeah. you don't, when you're younger, you don't think. Well, it's nothing's going to happen to you then. Yeah. The adventure is being open and being alive and believing in things. Most importantly, yourself. The world is awesome and it's it's there for the taking and there's so much that we ignore like in terms of nature and people and I think just an appreciation of all those things that are there right in front of us look at your garden I know it's one of the most mature things I've ever done with my entire life it's literally growing flowers I know but that it's so but why didn't I do that when I was 24 instead of chasing awful boys called Nigel yeah what a waste Fucking waste Nigel. of time. Oh, not Nigel. Not fucking Nigel. Not him. <laughs> Bridget Christie, we managed to have a lovely conversation where your stomach gurgles didn't get in the way. Thank you so much for comfort eating with me. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was produced by Daniel Stevens and Joel Grove. Executive producer is Lucy Greenwell. Original music is by Axel Kukutier. Mixing and sound design by Solomon King. If you liked Comfort Eating, please leave us a review. And you can follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. See you next time. This is The Guardian. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.